Sweet. What is up? So this is like our fifth attempt, fifth recording of the SW Dealers podcast or conversations with top performers or something. We're trying to come up Zach with a Wheeler name. experience. <laughs> yeah, right. we, we're trying to come up with a name. So if you if you got one at any point, let me know. I feel like the uh the Jack Wheeler experience is probably copyright infringement there. You might get a little too close to Joe. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if we're going to get uh, views enough to get on his radar, but we'll see. Um, but yeah, we got Ryan Groom here, who obviously doesn't need an introduction, but I'll do it anyways. Um, you're, I think, so obviously you're a director of, how how big is the base you're running right now? 300,000, 500? I don't even know. Like 500, yeah, we were. 500,000. Kind of in that range. I think we we're probably just shy of that list last year. Two, we, we went down a little bit last year, but uh, two two years ago, it was over five this year, just under. So kind of right at that mark. That's the first down year in your career, right? Second. Yeah. yeah. Oh, second. <laughs> um, okay. So like right around a 500,000 unit base, obviously been a top experience dealer, top, you know, team leader, stuff like that. And everyone knows, loves and appreciates you. So I'm excited to have you on. Um, we've been having a lot of fun doing these and I was excited to have you on the schedule because like, I feel like me and you have had a lot of really good conversations, at least from my perspective <laughs> of me learning a lot of stuff from you. So I'm excited to get one on the public sphere that people can uh, benefit from too. Good. Ready. Um, what'd you say? I'm ready. Sweet. Let's get it. All right, cool. Well, so I got kind of a, a series of things that I'm curious about. Um, I want to kind of start by going back um to spots that you probably don't talk about as much um at least these days but i want because i've seen some of the pictures like with the long hair and the lacrosse photos and stuff yeah. but i want to know what groom was like like as an in-schooler like so when you were in your second third like i don't know when did so did you hear about southwestern as a sophomore freshman junior sophomore, yeah sophomore okay same as me so i was, like, a, I was a cold you were a cold recruit, like from a survey? Yeah. Yeah. My, my recruiting story is actually pretty bizarre. I, I, uh, I guess I could chronicle that too, but yeah, if you, if you want a, uh, a, dis a discussion about my lifestyle back then, I'm happy to, I'm happy to share this, this episode might well turn into a very like, Oh, if he can do it, I could do it too. You know, <laughs> I, I, could, I could, I could probably remove some of my, um, some of my status with this one, but that's all right. That's good. The common, the common man's director. That's a good thing. Yeah. There you go. Well, yeah. So, so you did, so you got, you were a cold recruit. You were like, okay, yeah, this sounds pretty legit. Like went out there. I think you were a top first year, had a good summer, obviously. Um, yeah. And then came back. And what was that like? So when you came back, were you like the Dan Moore story where you were like, you had your schedule written out, you're like ready to go all gung-ho or were you like oh. back into college life or like, what, what were you like as an in-schooler when you came back? Yeah. Well, okay. So, so since, since we're just riffing here and having fun, um, I, I actually think it's probably worth the 10 minutes to tell the story about how I was recruited before yeah. we get into that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go for it. There's so many anomalies about my recruiting style and I don't really talk about it cause it's not, it's not super relevant, but um, so, so just interesting, interesting point. Um, so I was recruiting my, my dealer agreement was signed on April 24th, I think either the 22nd or the 24th. So third week in April. Uh, so that's one of those like, Hey, if you're losing momentum, there's still good people out there type of thing. 
you know, I thought I was going to have all kinds of good stuff lined up. And by April, I'm like, oh, I guess I'm just going to go do construction again. Um, I, I got I got floated by my manager who was like a 1300 unit rookie going on his second summer. <laughs> I didn't know this. His name was Ben. And he's he's a he's just one of a kind. He's he's kind of a weirdo, but pretty money about it. You know, like he owns it, knows he's weird and kind of leans into it type of thing. Yeah. Um, and so he had, he didn't have anybody on his team, even though he'd been trying to recruit. And uh, and he must have just gotten out of GRS2 or something. I don't know. He's in the library handing out surveys. Uh, and then so he called me. My OL ran the information meeting. I didn't even know. I didn't even understand it was door to door. Like my OL was just a dodgy. His name was Nate. And he was like, I asked him in the meeting. I'm like, what? I'm like, who's who arranged it? Because, you know, he said we meet with 30 people a day to show him these. Find products. those families. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I said. I'm like, who, who arranges these meetings? And he said, oh, that's part of training. You're taught how to do that. It's like, that's what a dodge, you know, like <laughs> I, it's like a, a conference room, you know, uh, with a bunch of people. So anyway, I figured it out by about the second day. And I remember, uh, you know, my dad was like, well, do you even know if this is if you have it like you're interviewing? Right. Do you even know if this is an opportunity? Because I was asking him if he thought I should do it or not. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, yeah, they, they want me. If, if I want to do this, they're definitely going <laughs> to, it wasn't a, I didn't, I didn't buy any of the selectivity stuff. And, uh, and so, so Nate was doing my day one and then Ben was doing my day two and Ben was a shaky B contract. Right. So, uh, Oh, I forgot one detail about this too. So, so when Ben called me, um, I was drinking at on a Sunday at a bonfire. We were having like an afternoon, you know, bag toss and, and bonfire. And I was like fairly tipsy. And so, you know, I was like, who's this, you know, answer like, Hey, this this professional thing, right? Like this, yeah. Is this Ryan? And I'm like, Oh yes, this is Ryan. And, uh, and so he he says, do you have a pen? And I rip off a piece of the charcoal briquette bag, like the bag. Yeah. Like the, with the, yeah. Yeah. So, so, so I write down, you know, where, where the thing is. And then he goes to do the, the solidification question and says, can I count on you being there? And I'm like, Ooh, truth is I'm not by my, by my schedule. I don't actually know for sure. I think I'm open at that time, but I don't know for sure. And he's like, okay, well, you know, cause he didn't really know how to handle that anyway. And so if you're a full-timer, that's, you don't even mark that as a commit, you know, it's, it was yeah. like a, I'll, I'll make it if I can kind of thing. Uh-huh. I'll, I'll get back to you. Yeah. Um, but I didn't think anything weird about that. Cause I, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. So I, I wrote down the details, put it in my pocket, set an alarm on my phone for like 7am the next day to look professional. So I could check in and call him to, to verify. And, uh, and then proceeded to just get bombed for the rest of the day. Right. And, and my, <laughs> my uh my alarm went off at like seven in the morning and i sat up like oh okay uh yes is this ben hey ben this is ryan we spoke yesterday about a possible internship <laughs> opportunity. i just wanted to confirm that i will be at the three o'clock information meeting thank you and then hung up and went back to sleep until like 11 o'clock <laughs> and, and and again i didn't think that was weird like if you're if you're a full-timer already in this story you're like who the hell is this guy that's a who, I don't think I ever got anybody that called me back to confirm they were going to make the info meeting, you know, but anyway, yeah. so 
So I show up, didn't know it was door to door. Now we're on the second day. And uh, Nate, the experienced fifth year guy, tried to hand it over to B, uh, Ben, the B contract. And uh, empowerment. Yeah, yeah, right. And so Ben's trying to do his best. And I just got done. Like, I, we're in the union. And I literally just got done telling Ben that I didn't know if I wanted to do it. Like, it was, it was very much a... You're on the fence. Yeah, right. And, uh, and again, I'm, I'm fairly arrogant at this point about the fact that, that they want me, you know? So Nate happens to walk by, the fifth-year guy, right? And he puts his hand on Ben's shoulder. Ben doesn't know how to handle this situation, you know, because, I, again, I told him I'm not doing it. So uh, Nate puts his hand on Ben's shoulder just at that moment and says, Ben, what do you think about Ryan? And Ben's like, pretty sharp guy. And Nate's like, you're going to select him? And Ben's like, you know, like, why would you say that right now? You know? And he's like, I think we're going to give it another day. And Nate goes, I would just select him. And so Ben's like, well, what do you say? He goes, well, Nate's been doing this for a long time. You know, I trust his opinion and you seem like a pretty sharp guy to me too. So I guess, um, congratulations, you know, welcome to the team. He just like handed me the DA, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah. And, uh, and again, I'm like, I, I just got like, I'm tickled. I, I can see that Ben is uncomfortable here. And so, uh, so I, I said, thank you. Yeah, that's great. Um, I appreciate that. And I, I just grabbed him from him and stuffed it in my bag and was like, okay, so I guess I'll, uh, I'll get, I'll let you guys know, like on Monday or something. Thank you. And then it, again, I didn't think that was weird. It was like they gave me a job yeah, offer. And <laughs> if I want it, you know. Uh, and and again, if you're a full timer and you've tried to select somebody and they balk, there was no interview questions. There was no, you know, like he didn't answer objections. He just sort of handed me the DA, and I stuffed it in my backpack. And you know, that's not that's not, not zero for that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Not gonna happen. And, but except for me, I, I went home and talked it over with my mom, who was super against it, talked it over with my dad, who was super for it, and decided, screw it, you know? It sounds kind of weird and challenging, and I was just going to go do the same thing I did the summer before, so let's roll the dice, you know? I thought maybe I'd be good at it. I was, I was good at selling coupon booklets as a lacrosse player in high school. Maybe I'd be good at this, too, you know what? <laughs> uh, and wow. so... And so I just, I called him on Monday and was like, hey, I got all that, all that paperwork filled out for you. When do we start training? And, and again, I didn't think any of that was weird. Ben's probably like, well, uh, oh, oh, oh wait, uh, yeah. Um, well, what's your schedule like tomorrow? <laughs> Actually, I found out later that Ben, Ben had been on the fence about wanting to come back. And so I gave Ben my paperwork. And he, this is like years later, I found this out. I gave Ben my paperwork and he tried to give it to Nate. He was like, hey, I made up my mind. I made up my mind. I I don't think I'm doing it again, but this Ryan kid seems pretty sharp and you kind of recruited him anyway. So, you know, he's yours. And Nate, thank God he was a honorable, he he was a dick, but he was at least sort of honor driven. And he was like, no, Ben, you recruited that kid. He's on your team. So you are going to lead him this summer, you know? And so that, and so me and Ben, I had a roommate at the beginning of the summer who quit and then it was just me and Ben against the world. Um, awesome. Yeah. And Ben's, he was a great student manager for me. You know, it was perfect. Yeah. Nate sounds like quite the assumptive guy. 
It's like, why don't you just select him? Uh, no, Ben, sorry, you you have he's on your team. <laughs> yeah, well, so so fast forward to the question you were asking me a set up before that story. Uh, yeah. When after I finished my first summer, I was I was uh, not related to Nate. I was not into doing it again. Um, hmm. You know, I was halfway through my first summer. I I I got real close to quitting in the middle of my third week, as a lot of people do. Um, I just decided. My dad, I called my dad in the middle of the day and he was like, um, well, did you shake someone's hand and tell them that you weren't going to quit? Yep. Then what do you think you should do? And it, it really was like, that's for all the kicking and screaming inside of my head about why I wanted to quit. Uh, that was just the hurdle I could never get over. It was like, yeah, you know? Um, and so, so, but you know, then round about like week seven, they're like, oh, everybody, hey, quick announcement at the end of the Sunday meetings. Give it up for Sarah. She's been selected back for the leadership team of next summer. And I'm like, what? You already committed to doing this again? Like, are you crazy? Like, I I was definitely not, like, persuaded by that. You know, I was like, you're nuts. I don't. So anyway, uh, <laughs> all the other rookies got selected back, or at least all, all the ones that were selling stuff. And it's like the week before deliveries and me and Ben are at the laundromat doing our laundry. Once again, he doesn't know what he's doing, right? So he's like, hey, uh, have you thought about coming back? And like, yeah, I don't want to. I'm not going to decide. I won't. I'm not going to make that decision until later. And he's like, you know, why do you think you'd be good at it? I'm like, I, I don't know. I was good first year. Like, I was not playing the game. You know what I mean? Like, and he, yeah. and he, he's like, was well. Was this like a casual conversation or could you tell that he was like yeah, he got put up to, to ask? Yeah, Nate, Nate put him up to it. Yeah. Okay. Nate, yeah. Right. He practiced a little bit ahead of time. And, uh, and so, so he's like, well, you know, I, I think you'd be, I think you'd be a great student manager and, and uh, I'd like to like to offer you a spot on the leadership team. Same thing, you know, like it, he just handed me the EDA and I'm like, I'm not going to fill that out right now. And he's like, I don't give a shit, you know, like, he, <laughs> you know? so anyway, um, so I get home and, and if you want to dig into like, you know, why I decided to come back and all that stuff, I certainly could, could share about that. But, um, but one of the factors, one of the, one of the interesting, like um, pin, if you were going to pinpoint certain conversations or even just certain comments that weighed heavy on my mind, it, one of them came from Nate and Nate, as I said, kind of an asshole was, um, you know, we were talking about whether or not I was going to come back and I was being kind of, you know, withheld. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's funny. Ritzer sat me down for like an hour and a half and uh, man, I, I could tell all kinds of stories, but uh, he, at, at one point I was like, no, I'm not going to, I'm, I'm not going to commit right now. No matter what, there's no, I'm not committing and check in period. Like I'll let you know, maybe <clears throat> at the awards banquet or something, but I'm going home to think about it. And he goes, you already committed. I'm like, no, I, I'm saying I'm not committing. And he's like, <laughs> he's like, you're committed to be a non-committal. <laughs> that was Nate or Ritzer? That was Ritzer in check-in. <laughs> like, All right, whatever. You, okay, you win, Ritzer. I made a commitment to be non-committal. <laughs> like, still going. I'm still getting in my car and driving home. Anyway, uh, so Nate, one of the comments Nate made when I was back on campus, um, him and me were just kind of casually talking about it. And he was like, well what did you, what did you take from Southwestern? You know, like, what are the, what are the things you took out of this whole deal? And, and I was, I was a very like, 
appreciative first year. I, I, yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't negative about the experience. Like I, I really did think I learned a lot. I gained a lot of confidence. I built a lot of communication skills. It was so out there mm -hmm. for an experience, just like anybody, you come back feeling like you could do anything. Yeah. for real. And, and I was, a, and I did well. I mean, I, I had 2,600 units. Like I was a decent first year and uh, yeah. And so I just rattled off a bunch of things I took from it. Right. And Nate goes, so just to clarify, just to get this straight, you're going to take and take and take and leave. That's kind of savage. Fuck you. I see what you did there. You know, like, uh, you know what I mean? Like that was, that was, that's, that's, that, you know? when you think about, when you think about like how to be tactful, if you're dealing with a bee that's on the fence, like how to be tactful, that's not it. You know what yeah, I mean? No um, but that did stick with me. It was like, man, that's true. I like if every manager that ever had a good first experience just decided that was that, that that was good enough, then Southwestern would die in one generation, but it's been around for 160 years. I'm like, I guess, you know, pay it forward or whatever. So <laughs> pay it forward or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, it was, it kind of, that was like a major part of me deciding to come back was like yeah. uh, obligation, you know? Yeah. Uh, dang. Wow. That's such a cool story. That, that just is a good reminder that like, for the most part, all this, it, like we want to get better technically and we want to get better at the job and everything. But at the end of the day, a lot of people are just going to recruit themselves. Like if they hear about this, they get put in front of the opportunity. Like sometimes no matter, like even if it's a weird interview process some people are just going to be like yeah i think yeah i want to i want to go ahead and go after this and sometimes we just overthink it so much yeah it goes it goes back to aces and number cards you know it's like i, yeah. I, I i'm an ace like a lot of the people that have been around for a long time in southwestern are just aces like they're yeah get it you know i, I remember joni bickney's uh I, you probably never even heard that name but she um mm. she was like hans before hans and she, she was, she sold back in the seventies and sold a ton of books and she recruited like nine, 10 person teams in a row or something like that. Like she was, mm -hmm. she was a beast and she, she was also very energetic and enthusiastic. And she, she would be like, a lot of you guys, I wish we didn't train you how to recruit at all. You know, you, you, you guys just overcomplicate this. If you, if you, if you guys that are in school, you just walk around, <laughs> just walk up to your buddies and say, Hey, you like doing hard things. You like doing hard things. Oh, I got a hard thing for you. You should come with me. You know, yeah. like that. That should be Alicia Huck said used to say that too. Like, really? yeah, yeah. Um, I, I mean, that's probably some old Southwestern like institutional thing, but um, maybe yeah. But yeah, that was me. That that's actually the first guy I recruited too. The the first guy I recruited, his name was Dick Proud. That's not that's not a joke. That's really his name, Richard Andrew Proud. <laughs> and uh, and I I got home at the end of my first summer, and there was like a week before we all had to go back to school, and he he went to school in Nebraska. So we were, we were underage. We were drinking in the barn in his parents' backyard. Um, and you know, you're a lightweight at the end of the summer. Right. So I was pretty bonded. Yeah. A lot of my stories in the early days revolve around, me, uh, <laughs> but, uh, the, there was a, you know, it's like this naked light bulb hanging down in the, in the, yeah. barn, you know? it's like that 70 shows or something. Yeah. Right. Exactly. It's like secret drinking at like two in the morning. And, and, and I'm like every single war story you can think of, like all, all the stuff you should never say to a prospect is like, I'm telling them all the stories. Right. And the only thing I'm doing correctly is at the end of the story, I, I, I would bring it back to like, and that's why that experience was so cool. Cause like, why, when have you ever yeah. had, a, had a 
buck-toothed mom try to set you up with her daughter for a date you know I mean that's such a weird experience you know what I mean like what and I, so I, I was always just kind of looping it back to like that's why it was awesome it helped me grow or like it grew yeah. my experience or it was an adventure or like all these different things that were good about it yeah and uh, and then I and then right before we passed out, I taught him executive exercises in the barn, which you should never teach teach about. You know, like don't do that; it's bad. But anyway, so so we pass out. I you know I kind of remember it. And then like a week later, he's in Nebraska, and he's like he called me and was like, "Hey, you know the book thing you did? Yep. Um, do they work with Nebraska students? Probably. You know. He's like, how do I get involved? And I'm like. <clears throat> I'm a manager now. I'll see if, if I can, if pull, I can put you in touch. Pull some what I actually said was, I'll see if I can pull some strings for you. Um, and then I called Tim and Tim connected me with Yvette and Yvette infoed him. And, and then there you go. He was on my team. He little nice. known fact about that, but he was, he filled out his DA before I filled out my EDA. Like he was, he was a contributing factor for me deciding to do another summer. It was yeah. like kind of sweet in the pot a little bit. You already have a first year if you decide to come back, you know? Yeah dang <laughs> that's so cool so that was like was that even before the awards banquet when you signed him up or what yeah like, yeah it was, it was yeah. like at the very beginning yeah. Yeah. yeah dang that's cool so so then okay so you're then a junior in junior in college right you decided to come back at some point like so were you like the type of in schooler that was like going to interviews and infos and taking notes and like getting people infoed every single week once you decided to come back were you kind of like checked in locked in like i'm gonna make the most of this or were you just like you know, having fun in college and kind of bringing some friends around here and there. What was, what was your in-schooling experience like? I would say I, my life was very, um, you could say imbalanced, you could say cyclical, you could say um, volatile, you know, these are all words <laughs> that might describe me as a college student. Um, you know, like, when I got back at the end of my first summer, um, I did not do the Dan Moore thing where I made a big schedule and committed myself. I was not Sammy Southwestern. I was like, I'm, I am released from this burden called the book field and I can finally go home and, and, and party my ass off. That's exactly what I did. The first, the first day I got home, I announced that we were going to throw a party at our house. I, I lived in, in a, we had, I had six roommates. It was the grossest house you've ever seen. It was just full on animal house. Like exactly. We, we were one of like three lacrosse houses and we threw, we threw parties. We threw a lot of parties. And so, um, <laughs> and, and so anyway, I'm, I get home and you know, when you're a college sophomore and you're going to throw a house party, what beer do you buy? What keg do you buy? Keystone or Natty light or something. That's exactly right. You, yeah. you buy the cheapest light beer you can buy. And I don't know if you guys still do this, but we used to we used to buy a sleeve of red solo cups. And then your admission to get into the keg was um, you pay five bucks for a solo cup and then you drink at the keg until it's gone. Right. Um, do you guys still do that? Uh, no, but I like the idea. It's great. <laughs> that was that was like standard procedure in Duluth. Like if you were if you were going to a, high, uh, a house party, you just had a five dollar bill and that was your cover charge. They gave you a cup and then you just drank out of the keg until it was gone. Yeah, I think kegs aren't super popular anymore. It's like people buy 30 racks, put them in a cooler and then maybe like, you know, some like some liquor and stuff, too. Kids are getting soft, man. <laughs> it's getting soft. We used to play beer pong with beer in the cups, uh, which is which is apparently in your guys's. I think uh, 
that we did that too but i think i think covid maybe has uh scared people off of that yeah, it's not you know, sanitary. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever so <laughs> when you mean cyclical and volatile meaning like you would go through phases of like like where you would just like all right i'm just gonna party a ton hang out with my friends and then it's like okay i'm gonna get i'm gonna work really hard and get a ton of people and yeah, be super in into southwestern yeah the cycles tended to line up with the southwestern getbacks you know where it was like yeah. i would go to a get back and then for the next week or two i'd be like inspired and then the inspiration would wear off and get replaced by by alcohol and then um and then i go to another southwestern meeting and it would kind of bring me back up like that so anyway the reason i was telling the story about the kegs is i went and bought like a keg that like a lining kugels keg that was like double the price and i didn't charge for cups i just gave the cups away for free that's how big league i was yeah right exactly it was like you know so but yeah, I, I got home at the end of my first summer and I, t- I just took like a two week nap, you know, I was yeah, not, yeah. um, not very into it. So yeah. And, and I think, you know, I, I went to the meetings and then I would go back and get, get people notebook. Right. I, like I did, I did get a few lacrosse buddies notebook that first year. Um, I hometown recruited my cousin over Christmas break. Like I did some activity that you're supposed yeah. to do. So you weren't like the most active person in the world, but you weren't like non-existent with recruiting. Like you got, yeah. You yeah, probably, yeah. yeah. yeah I, I was, I, let's, let's call it like this in terms of Southwestern. I think I was fairly reactive. Like if there was a contest or there was like a really good meeting that we just left, then I would react by getting people info, you know, whatever. Yeah. But I mean, you know, I remember, I remember there were a few times where I, I, I sort of had this reputation actually of, of being one of the sort of partier um, managers, you know? And so in Duluth, there was both like in my personal life and stuff like that, you know, it was just kind of like part of the deal. Um, And so Ritzer, Ritzer used to think it was funny to try to book those people super early for PCs when he would come to town. So I, there were a few times that B contract year, B, between B and C year, um, Tim came a couple of times, at least twice, where he's like, hey, Grimmer, I'll see you at 8 a.m. tomorrow at Bixby's, you know? <laughs> Bixby's is the name of the coffee shop he'd always meet us at. Yeah. 8 a.m., what's your spot? I'm like, I'm not going to be there. <laughs> like, n- yeah, yeah, no, that's that's the only time spot I can fit you in. So 8 a.m., I know you don't have classes. Because I... Another well-known fact about me is that I didn't, I never registered for class that started before 10 a.m. I, I would, I used to brag about that. So, um, so he's like, I know you're open. I'm like, yeah, I know, but I'm not going to be there. Like, and then, then 8 a.m. would come and go and I would not go. And then he'd be like, Groom, you missed our PC. And I'm like, no, I told you I wasn't going to be there. Like, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why you keep doing this, you know, like you're the worst. Yeah, I, would yeah, be I, was not, I wasn't like I said, I'll probably ruin some of my credibility on this call. Uh, but it's but at least people can go, well, I'm not so bad. <laughs> yeah. Group turned out OK. So, and then was senior year the same kind of same deal where you were just kind of like would go to events and like you'd, you know, get some people info to react to events and then, you know, went out and sold another summer. Or did anything change when you came back to getting ready to go to your third summer what happened my third summer um that's the year i recruited aj and that year i i pulled the i ran out of warm prospects which is bs by the way i i was on a lacrosse team that had like sharp good looking competitive dudes and i only brought maybe five i probably had access to 45 like really sharp dudes during the during the three years that i was in college and in southwestern or or the two years and um 
I only I only dragged a few of them. I, I was I was pretty shy about it at the lacrosse practices, you know, like it would come up and and I would try to change the subject real quick. Like, oh, yeah, door to door or whatever, you know, and I try <laughs> to dodge that. Um, you learned it, that from Nate. What's that? You learned that from Nate. From from yeah right trying to dodge shifty no but but for me it was like embarrassment you know I, I didn't I didn't mm -hmm. I didn't like you know everybody give everybody has skeptics that give them crap about about Southwestern right yeah uh, I'll get my computer here um and so in hindsight what I wish I would have done is I wish I would have just been way more proud of it you know because on a lacrosse team or in a fraternity or in any social group it's like if everybody has the dirt on everybody else right if yeah. you're sitting in the living room and everybody's <laughs> everybody's talking smack about each other when if i get smack talked by you i have a counterpoint i, I have something i can make fun of you of some something you did that was yeah. really stupid last weekend or so, you know what i mean like yeah. we all have the dirt on each other you know and we have to have dirt you know mm -hmm. we have to take dirt too they have to have it on us and so it's like, I wish I would have thought more about it. Like, okay, if, if the dirt that they're going to constantly give me crap about is the fact that I'm a door-to-door -door salesman better than some of the alternatives. And also at least with that one, I can be like, yeah, that's true. I'm a door-to-door -door salesman. That's dorky. I agree. Oh, I sell Bibles, whatever. But I made more than you, 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 and you all four put together. So shut the fuck up about that. You know what I mean? Like, uh, cause, cause you know what I mean? Like, I just wish I would have been more sure. like, yeah loud and proud like wear it on my sleeve because i think i probably yeah. would have attracted some of the freshmen and certain guys that would yeah. have taken my side on that instead of you know you could see it was like embarrassing for me when it would mm -hmm. come up i think that that's a really good point because I, I feel like we hear this or at least i do every year people are like oh man like just all the people in blank group are like skeptical or negative and it's like in my opinion there was this one guy his name was nugget is what we called him and <laughs> not against the guy not his real name, but he would, he would just make, he would like make fun of it in front of people. And my first year I would be embarrassed, like, dude, whatever, you don't know what you're talking about kind of thing, you know? Um, but the second year he said it like the first week of school. And I was just like, I was like, no. And there's like 10 people around. I'm like, no, get, I don't know what you did last summer. I, I think I kind of do, but I just got a $20,000 check works 80 hours a week, ran a business in a different state. And you gardened living with your mom. Like I, you can give me crap, but like, I, I just, I got 20 grand this past summer. Like right. you did right. nothing productive. So like, right. I don't want to hear it. And you know, who never said anything else ever again, nugget. Right? And probably if you would have invited anybody who witnessed that exchange, if you would have invited all of them to info meetings the next day, probably a few of them would have came, maybe one on your team, you know? But Yeah. And I, I ended up, I had like three fraternity brothers that ended up coming out with me. Um, during that time. And I think it, I think part of it has, you have to like be willing to be, own it. You know, if you like yeah. kind of shy away, you're, that's where you get in trouble. Right. And for, for all you, uh, you know, would be, would be loud and proud viewers watching this episode of the Jack Wheeler episode or experience, uh, make a mental note that it, it doesn't hurt to be a producer in Southwestern. That, that, that's kind of a big part of what we're talking about here is it makes it a lot harder if, if you can, if you do three years in a row where you sell 500 units, nothing against you guys, but figure it out first, you know, that's yeah. an important element of this whole thing.
Yeah. Cause like, then it's, it's just easy proof that your time was worth it. Right now the experience and all that stuff is worth it. It's just sometimes like the money is a quick, quick, easy thing to respond with. Uh, yeah. cause they're not always going to understand the experience when you're talking to a 19 year old. Right. Um, yeah, so, so I guess my, that, that next year yeah. as a C, I actually started, um, surveying classes and floating okay. and stuff. Um, and so I, I cold recruited AJ and, uh, the, and all my recruiting was in the fall because, or no, no. Yeah. So, so that year, that was my first crack at trying to be an OL, which I, I wasn't, I started the summer as an AOL and then the actual OL kind of stopped OLing. So midway through the summer, I just sort of morphed into the OL, like to the point where the person who was the OL in sales school didn't even attend delivery school at the end of the summer. Mm. Um, so I, I ran delivery school. So I get, that was a weird, like, uh, Switched that's a whole different summer. story, but yeah, yeah. anyway, so, so that summer, um, <clears throat> Right after that, I went on semester at sea in the fall and then got back and and sort of attempted full timing for the first time going into my fourth summer. So that was that that was the end of my college days. Yeah. Okay, cool. And then at that point, obviously you like were growing in your responsibility, working a little bit harder. You had AJ, you you know, recruited some people. So you obviously decided to come back full timing. And then um I guess I could ask you about why, but I guess my intuition is kind of, you were just like, well, yeah, seems like I could learn some stuff and probably be pretty good. And, you know, you felt like you were growing and learning. Is it deeper than that? Or is that pretty much it? No, it was, it was, um, in, in today's vernacular, we would refer to it as a money summer pitch. Okay. Uh, you know, that one. Yeah. Yeah. Where you're just like, okay, yeah, do one more summer, you know, build a team, make as much money as you can and then go off into the, into the world. Yeah. The, the basic psychology, cause I, I got home from semester at sea after the fall and my counselor was like, Hey, you're, um, you're done with your business major. So congratulations. Did you know if you take one more communications class and one more marketing class, you have a minor in both. And that was a total surprise to me. I just took enough like electives in those two arenas that yeah. that's, that was the, I didn't even know. I didn't. So when, when, if I get like a real formal intro, it says uh, business management major, marketing minor, communication minor. Those last two were accidental basically. Uh, that the, so, so I was going to be in Duluth anyway, cause I was, I was going to, you know, it was like, I guess, I guess if I, I, that was like, it fed into it. I'm like, I guess I could stay in Duluth and, take two classes. And, you know, when I agreed to do a third, I agreed to do a third and a fourth at the same time. Okay. The theory was, um, you know, get the, get the full-timer experience. And then also, uh, everybody with, everybody with a college degree goes into the job market in May. So the, the market's inundated with, with applicants. Yeah. So, you know, spend one more summer adding a few, few more cool bullet points on my resume, charge up my bank account again, so that I have a, a lot of money and then begin the, the search in, um, <clears throat> in the fall. And actually my intention was to make a bunch of money, then get home and backpack, backpack Europe for a while, which, which we did. And then, and then when I got back, begin the job search with enough money in my pocket that, I, that I'm not desperate. I don't, I don't need to just take whatever yeah, job. Yeah. <clears throat> and at a time when, when the, the market's not inundated with recent graduates. So that was, that was really my plan. And that's, that's why at the end of my fourth summer, that's when I shook Tim Ritzer's hand and said, 
Okay. I'm officially done. Thank you for everything. Like yeah. it's been awesome. If you need me as an alumni speaker, let me know. Yeah. And I, yeah. So. And then I feel like at least I haven't, I'm sure most people have heard kind of your story from that point where it's like, you know, like, okay, I'll do one more and then, all right, I'll do one more. And you kind of do that for a few years. So I kind of want to fast forward a little bit to the, uh, to like the growing up process. So like where you like come up with, I know you came up with the list of like what you want out of a career and you're like, crap, like, I feel like being a DSO would be that career. Like that sucks. I'm going to have to work so hard to get there. But like, you know, I think I can do it. So you decide to do that. I, I want to talk more about like what that process was like when you decided to like get your, get your ish together and like grow up. Like what is, what was that process like? Was it like, did you flip a switch? Was it kind of hard did it comes with ebbs and flows? Or I know I've heard you talk about where you're like, I've read all these books and did all this stuff. But like, was that like a conscious just switch from black to white? Or was it like, uh, was it kind of a uphill climb to get there? Uh, I think, I think a combination. I think, I think what ends up happening or what happened with me is the, the decision to like commit that I was going to make it to DSL wasn't, really that well thought out you know it's like that i it, you everybody yeah i mean i don't know if everybody's heard of, you you've sat through enough of my presentations to hear the the dream job list which which yeah. i didn't make that up that was actually recommended to me by by an alumni who i really respect um you know the, all that stuff the, the write your chapter 20 all that you know yeah uh, so I, I probably don't need to cover that but but that's about as much thinking as i did and then and then the the, the kind of icing on the cake was i the mentality actually wasn't like, oh, I'm going to retire with Southwestern. The mentality was like, I hit, I hit ASL kind of by accident, you know, like with, yeah. without, I got some good managers coming back. And like, I, you know, at the time, I, I don't know, I probably had five, like pretty solid uh, people yeah. that were coming back. And I'm like, I did that without even focusing, you know what I mean? And so I wonder what it'd be like. So, so really the thought that, that, as stupid as it sounds, the thought that kind of pushed me over was like, okay, I've spent four or five summers trying to figure out if I would like being a DSL. That's like one of the questions I'd ask myself is like, I wonder if I could be a DSL. I wonder if I would like that, you know? Yeah. And then, then like, I was like, you know what? Screw it. Like I'm already a third of the way there and I'll just hit it first try it out for a year or two to see if I like it. And that's how I'll know if I like, if I would like being a DSL, I'll try it. I'll, it was like, I, I was viewing it like I'm going to get there so that I can test drive that position. Yeah. And then I'll, and then I'll make a call from there. Me. I'll reaffirm, you know? And at the time yeah. I used to joke about like, even if it takes me 10 summers <laughs> and sure enough. And know, then it did. <laughs> I hit it after my ninth summer, my 10th summer, I did go out and sell one more time and, and recruited yeah. one more team full-time recruited. Like, mm -hmm phoning and stuff but um but yeah I, I i thought i was so sharp that <laughs> two if years I, yeah. <laughs> yeah if i threw my whole body weight into it um this shouldn't take me very long you know because i got to asl without even trying so this shouldn't you know should be a piece of cake but yeah it was, it was not a piece of cake so i guess practically like those because that took you what one from the decision to your 10th summer that was like what five years in between there something yeah that's the exact moment is kind of fuzzy, but yeah. Something yeah. Like that. Okay. So w walk me through that process a little bit. Cause like one thing that like that I've talked to you about this and AJ and it's like the, 
I don't know, at some point, like if you're going to make it, you have to like, you do have to kind of grow up and like change your life a little bit. If you're going to teach people about life and leadership, you got to kind of shed a lot of things and like change your behavior in a lot of ways. So what was that like? If you were to try to look back and think about how you could get to the point that you needed to be quicker, what were the things you would add to your life and what would be things that you would like take away from your life to make grow, make that process of kind of growing up and shedding things quicker? Because like for me, the first time full-timing, like I was still going out every weekend and that was definitely not like really helpful, you know? So that was something that I realized like, man, if I shed that, like that'll, it'll help me be a, a lot better. And that's just one example, but like, I'm sure you have multiple. Yeah. Yeah. My, my brain's going in all different directions. It, yeah. The, um, the, you know, t the question you asked about like what the flip, the flip was, it was like, really like the, it wasn't an instant thing. Like you're, like you originally said, it was like, there, there was kind of a moment where I said, screw it. Like I'm now committed and I'm just going to make it happen. And that was a serious commitment. And it's, it's all the presentations you hear about like the power of commitment. And once, once you have a committed heart, then, you know, things start happening and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And I did at, at this point, I did have a committed heart, but I did not have committed what we're talking about. I, I was, I was the same person um, just, just with a committed heart, you know? So it's like, <laughs> in, in one sense, it was, it was a flick of a switch in the sense of like making the commitment. But in, in the other sense, it was very much a process, um, yeah. of becoming the type of person who could do what I do. But, and I think that's important because it's like, without the committed heart, then we don't always, we don't realize that we have to shed the things to become a different person, you know, because <laughs> we think that just with a committed heart, being the same person will make it happen. <laughs> that's just usually not the case. Well, I mean, there there are probably some people in the history of Southwestern who are just born with with more talent in their index finger than I have in my whole body that that could that could hit DSL by accident kind of thing. Like they could yeah. just without a committed heart. Mm -hmm. um, I've never been one of those. You know what I mean? It's like it's yeah. that uh, for me, it was necessary. And then and then as far as like, you know, kind of evolving um, over the years. Um, you know, what's funny is is your, your opening question about like, what was I like before? before in the early days yeah um, it's it's funny because like if you go through my whole track record of life not i'm, I'm like outside of the southwestern thing and we're just talking mm -hmm. about my my autobiography yeah in high school i was really pretty straight edge like i was i was I, my thing like i was i was known for being in in like ridiculously good shape and i'm not not trying to be braggy or whatever. Like that was my, that was totally my reputation was yeah. like the, the guy for the fitness thing. <laughs> and I didn't drink. I, I, I didn't eat sugar and like, I didn't drink even though all my buddies were drinking because I didn't want to get fat. You know what I mean? It was like, yeah, that was why. And, uh, you know, I was, I was the captain of two sports in high school and like, you know, I was like just your kind of all American kid, but, but fairly innocent, you know? Mm. And I, I just <laughs> sort of started drinking like, around my senior year of high school uh and then by the time i got to college i was just experienced enough at drinking to be dangerous and and we had so much freedom in college that it was like that just that just swelled up and and uh the whole party scene and all that stuff and it was it was uh and, and being on a lacrosse team it's tough to say whether or not that kept me out of trouble or got me into more trouble you know what i mean it's i don't know it's difficult to to really weigh in on that because it's like obviously i had to go to practice anyway the point is, um, while I was in college, I thought I was having the most fun of my whole life. 
like in the middle of it, I thought it was unbelievably fun. Right. Mm -hmm. Looking back on it though, in hindsight, so far up until I'm 36 now, like if, if you were to, if you were to ask like, what are the two or three most depressed years of your whole life? Like personal depression type of thing. Yeah. And I don't think I ever had like a diagnosable case of depression, but just like kind of the lowest that I ever was probably yeah. the fattest I ever was um, lowest kind of general self-image self-esteem. That would have been my junior and senior year of college. Like mm -hmm. in the middle of that, I thought it was fun. And yeah. And it, it took me a few years after, like into this phase that you're talking about, where I was trying to grow up to yeah. shape. And, and in some ways, I think um, that's one of the one of the kind of pitfalls of somebody who's sort of this indefinite Southwestern person where they just keep coming back and they don't really have a good reason why is some people are using it as a procrastination technique to, to procrastinate becoming an adult. Mm -hmm. And um, not that I think you should you should you know, everybody ought to stay forever and become a DSL or whatever, you know, I'll be yeah. a company man on this, but it's like, but one of the, one of the pitfalls is like, you, you can still act like a college kid well into your late twenties. If you're decently successful at Southwestern, but you can't really do that. If you jump into like Merrill Lynch, you know what I mean? It's like, you yeah. better get your, your poop in a pile. If you're going to yeah, you're gonna have a big kid job like that. You know what I mean? Cause they, they have to be on time. You have to show up, you have to clear your personal time off. You know, it's like mm -hmm. if, if your performance slips, they don't really care about your feelings either. They, they just want to know what your quarterly numbers are, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, so I, I think in that way, it, it actually kind of slowed me down, but the, one of the, one of the big things, and this is a, this is kind of an interesting thought too, but um, in those, it, it, that phase you're talking about from like summer five until like maybe summer eight, um, I actually, I actually lived alone. Um, and that's, that's something that I, that I don't talk about all that much, but, um, I had, I had just a one bedroom apartment that was in a cool part of town in Minneapolis and I would go phone with my full-timing buddies, but, I, but like I had my own space and I'm like, I think that's a, that's something everybody should do at one point in their life is just yeah. like be your own roommate. Mm -hmm. I think that probably helped with the growing up process. But, um, if, if you're just talking generic answers for like what I needed to get rid of, um, it was pretty much acting like a college kid, you know, the, the yeah. idea of thirsty Thursday no longer applies when you're an adult, you know, the yeah. idea of spring break, as Mark Rao points out, like that you just, you're a, you have a career, but beyond that, I think, you know, I, realistically for me, that's, that's basically it. Like I, I the whole way through, I, I was, I've been a B in terms of health consciousness. I've been a B in terms of faith. You know, you, you've seen the list of things I read that year. Like, yeah. Leaders are readers, you know, so I've, I, you know, my audible profile has a ton of books on it and all that. Like, I think it was a slow and steady process of doing that stuff. Um, that college kid party scene thing had to go, uh, you know, and it's like, even Ritzer was like, Hey, if you, if you have to like blow your brains out on some random weekend at some point, or like go on a ski trip, just do it with non Southwestern friends. So it doesn't hurt yeah. your influence, you know, which Probably, you know, in the in the late 20s, I did that a few times too. go out with some old like high school buddies and blow my brains out. But for the most part, it was like slow growing up process. Um, so I, I think mostly what it is, is like a uh, taking ownership mentality. Like, yeah, you know, you, you don't when you're a kid or when you're in college, it's like you're sort of just instructed what to do. And, and 
getting decent grades is not a difficult task, you know? So yeah. it's like, uh, for, for most people, I mean, it, it depends on your major. Obviously I was a business major, which is almost a joke. So it's like, there's no there's no real ownership there's no like you know it's like if you're that's why that's why living alone was useful for me because it's like yeah. if there's dirty dishes in the sink literally or metaphorically i have nobody to blame that on you know it's like this is yeah. this is just like you got to straighten out your own life one of my favorite quotes from from an old alumni was even if you're on the right track you're gonna get run over if you just sit there mm. you know and so it's like just this idea of uh there is no there is no guarantee that as you navigate your 20s that you're just gonna slowly become a better person yeah because of evolution or or growth or whatever you, you really can just stay the same version of you that you were when you were 19 all the way until your 90s you know what i mean yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. It takes mm -hmm. all effort to like improve so i don't I don't think there was any one particular thing. I think it's just been a slow, steady yeah. process trying to be a student of the game. And yeah, I just think that stuff's interesting because it's like you're talking about like the you have to if you stay stand on the track, you know, if you don't keep moving, you're gonna get run over. Is that kind of the analogy that you said, right? Yeah, you've been uh, on the it, right track in life. Even if you're on the right track, so yeah. just sit there. Because I think like Southwestern can be like that sometimes where we spend time here and we're like, oh, well, I'm at Southwestern. I'm, I'm on the right track, you know, like I'm going to, you know, yeah, I'm, like I'm doing this thing that no one else is doing. I'm going to be super successful. And we forget like the first article we read in like a day one follow up, like you're that still applies. Like what you're someday going to be, you're now becoming. Right. So it's like just because you sold two summers or like have done some recruiting and faced some fear doesn't mean that you your habits today are still going to decide who you are in 10 years. You know? Right. Um, and that's true of of Virgie and Rao and yeah. DC and Dan Moore and everybody is always it's like if you're green, you're growing. If you're ripe, you're rotten kind of thing. But yeah, mm -hmm. so. My my personal story, like once I, once I sort of began, once it was like, okay, I gotta I gotta just stay here until I hit DSL. Then it just was a slow and steady trying to work on myself, you know. Yeah, I, I think that's important because sometimes, again, I think we just get so like in Southwestern, we think we're doing what we need to do to grow, and it's like, okay, wait, like your life is a lot more than Southwestern. Like, what are we doing in our life to continue to grow and get better? Like reading or good habits or stuff like that. So, or what are we getting rid of too? Yeah. A few of those years I, I trained th that was during that times when I trained for and ran in three marathons. Like there was, yeah. there was things I was doing. I was like trying to learn how to cook and, you know, different stuff yeah. that was, that was um, outside my comfort zone, I guess. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, it is possible metaphorically to, 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 like you said, like if in your mind you're in Southwestern because that's the right track and like, Oh, I'm around all these people and all these success principles. And so, I go to all these meetings and that therefore I'm, I'm going to be successful. Aren't I? <laughs> no, I mean, you are on the right track. There's certainly worse tracks out there you could be on. So you're in, you're in a good position, but if you're not like actively trying to improve who you are, trying to build your character, trying to learn new things, trying to read new books, interview new people, yeah. whatever, then, then you just sit in there, you know? Yeah, totally. And I think it's just like healthy for the, for like the mind too. And like having fresh things that we're growing in other than just trying to build an awesome team. It's like build an awesome team and learn to cook or, and like, you know, run for a marathon. Or it's like, you asked me before this, like, man, how are you having time doing this full time? And it's like, this is just fun. It's something fun that's out of my comfort zone to do and learn. And it's kind of the same thing. It's like, 
Um, just the idea of like, okay, well, what, what can I do to get better at? Maybe I can get better at asking questions and learn a lot from these conversations. And, um, I think doing whatever it is stuff outside of like your, your job, which is building a team, you know, I think it's important to have things like that. So that's, that's cool. Thanks for sharing that. Um, all right. I want to switch gears. I want to talk about selling. Um, so <laughs> yeah, I sent you an audio message before this, but, um, about talking you want to pick on me, you want to pick on me. <laughs> I know. No, I think, I think, I think I'm you, comfortable in my own skin. Have at it. <laughs> I think you can have some good insight from, from experience and hindsight, but so I want to, obviously like your best number is what, five, 6,000 units, something like that. Yeah, I, I would say. By summer number five, I kind of settled into a routine where my last five were, I would sign up like 7,000 and deliver like 5,500. And and my best one was was just shy of 6,000 delivered. So yeah, um, I wouldn't say I was phenomenal on the book field. Um, yeah. Pretty solid, consistent. I was, I was very good at training people to be top first years, but yeah, I, I certainly, I was no Jack Wheeler out there. That's for sure. <laughs> Well, so, so I want to, I want to ask you about that because the, uh, cause it's interesting. Cause like, obviously a lot of people in your group are like, you know, you've had some like top, top producers in, in your group. And I think it, I think it's really like uh, maybe an interesting thing to look back on thinking if you kind of did like find like a plateau there with your own selling experience. If so, what, what have you noticed? Like, uh, well, like, what do you think held you back? looking back, like, what do you think held you back from bigger numbers? Was it, I don't know what the company was producing then. Like, I don't know if there were a ton of 10,000 unit producers or if, or if maybe you were like a top, top 10 producer every year at, you know, like right around 6,000 or, or what that was like, but not top 10, but top 50. I okay, mean, yeah. the, 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 um, Overton window on, on what is good has certainly shifted since then, but yeah. So, so I guess like, what do you think held you back? And then looking back at it now, cause you might've been comfortable with that back then, but now maybe seeing the stuff you're like, maybe you're noticing a couple of things that held you back. And then, and then why, why do you think that held you back in the moment? Um, it's interesting. That's a, so, so we can take this one of two directions. You, you know, we can do kind of like external circumstances and like, where was the company? Like, what was the environment I was in at the time? And then, also, like personally, you know, what should I have done differently? Like to sort of, well, let, yeah, let's look at it from the angle of like, okay, we get, you get to have all your knowledge right now of what's happened in the company, everything. And we get to take you back 10 years to go on to the book field. What would, what would you be like? What would be, what would you be like? Oh, I would have done this differently. Like this, this total, my mindset totally got held back here. I would have a different mindset. Yeah. Well, okay. So, so there's, there's a few, I mean, again, my brain's going in a lot of directions on this, but, yeah. but the truth is um, it's, it's the, it's just this classic. Um, I, I, I use this analogy. I have, I, oddly enough, I have two separate training analogies that revolve around meat grinders, <laughs> which is a strange thing to have. But the, the first one is like the, the, you know, like a hand cranking grinder. Yeah. Uh, the meat that goes in there is just the book field. It's, it's Mrs. Jones, it's territory, whatever. Um, and it doesn't change. Like she, she, she treats everybody the same, you know, like in the older I got in this, the, I, I kind of went through like this, this cycle with territory too, where I was like, in the beginning, I was conditioned to believe the territory didn't matter. 
And by about my third summer, I really thought that was BS and the territory did matter and that I needed to be in the right territory. And then by like number six, probably I was back to like, it really doesn't like it really, really doesn't because, you know, you you get this image in your head of like, ah, all the people in the country are easy to sit down with and you just have to find money. And then not true. There's several, there are a lot of people out in the country that are really mean, you know, and it's like, <laughs> I'm like, and then you think, oh, the people in the suburbs are, you know, they're too short with you. And it's like, the, there's a, some of the coolest people I met lived in like huge houses and really nice neighborhoods. You know what I mean? Like they're yeah. cool. So I, it's just, I don't buy that anymore. But um, why did I get on that top? The, 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 uh, the meat grinder. Yeah. The meat grinder. Right. So, so yeah. it, it, it goes in. Right. And then whatever you do, you're the grinder right? You're the one that's, that's processing the turf. Yeah. And the output is like the units that you wind up with, you know what I mean? That's, that's your finished product. That's what goes in the superstar book. Yeah. And so it's like, it's fairly self-evident and I'm a really extreme case of this, that if you're processing territory in six different States, seven different States, you know, um, week in and week out for 10 summers and you just keep getting the same, output mm-hmm. the only way to change the output is to change the processor itself you know what i mean like if you ch- if you were to change the machine change out some of the components inside of the machine or whatever you you may get a different output but like yeah. i guess i'm just a slow learner or whatever um and, and that's actually an oversimplification too it's like somewhere along the way it did occur to me that i have this problem and i even set out to try to fix it and i don't it's it's easier to say than it is to do but that's, I mean, the obvious answer to that is why did I sell, you know, be like in the fives for five years in a row? Because I didn't change anything. You know, it's like, I, I, like my selling style was like pretty fast in between houses, very slow in houses. I was good at getting quick no's. Yes. But my yeses would take a really long time. Like I had a, I had a, uh, you know, I, I did not have an efficient. Yes. Um, you know, it was like I, I had the same sort of persona out there and, and people who sold with me for four or five summers, it, they knew when they got in my truck, they were going to see the same thing they saw last summer, which is not a good thing. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it can, the results are consistent because I was consistent, but I didn't want the results to be consistent. You know, so mm-hmm. it's a it's an interesting thing. But it's like, you know, I, I, I never really, for example, um, I remember <clears throat> this is just a this is just a really specific one. And, and, and you know. I guess parentheses here or, or disclaimer asterisk, whatever. But it's like, if, if you're like in the PC range, a lot of the time, you know, president's club, it's like th- what I'm about to say, you could maybe take literally in your own life, but, um, and, and I'm kind of talking to the audience here, I guess, but if, if you're, you know, at the 1000, 2000, 3000 range, what I'm about to say, probably there's a few steps in between where you're at and what we're talking about here. But I, yeah. I remember I sat down, uh, there, there was an old, old DSL named John Kerry. And, and, and yeah. to, to illustrate the point, um, in 2009, he was the number one overall dealer at like 11,000 units. And the next closest person was like eight, you know, like number two was like 8,000. So it's like, yeah, the, the production has changed, you know? Um, mm-hmm. but I, so I, I sit down with John, John, John is, uh, he's out there, man. He is, he is a unique fella. Uh, and so, yeah, so um, anyway, he was, we were at GRS and I was doing this thing like you're supposed to do where you go annoy people who are better at this job than you. And, 
and it's not really annoying actually I, i'm always flattered when people most people that. like it yeah right uh, but john, john was sitting there typing on his computer you know like he was working it was like a lunch break or something he's working away and i'm like hey you're john Kerry," you know and i sat down with my plate without really asking and just going can i ask you a few questions and he's like uh yeah sure just keeps on typing away and i asked him enough questions that or you know one or two that were like obviously you're gonna have to like engage with me mm-hmm. then he finally was like and like shut his computer and then like face me right like okay i'll do this later like, and in uh, in like one of the first questions i asked him was hey if you're if you're a guy who's like you kind of at the 600 unit per week level you know like yeah. I, I, that doesn't scare me really you know like that's kind of a normal cruise control type of thing um mm-hmm. how do you how do you get from that like the 5000 range to 10 you know what i mean like i think a lot of our training is geared for like how to go from 2500 to 5 or 6 but like i want yeah. i want to do this next level mm-hmm. and his first question was do you show big packages and I'm like, so first of all, I didn't prime it by saying, what's the, what's your technical advice for it? Right. He could have, yeah. he could have said anything. He could have talked yeah, about yeah. belief or he could have said mm-hmm. present or whatever, but, um, but he jumps right to, and, and that's kind of a taboo topic anyway. You know what I mean? It's almost yeah. like you, you, nobody's really <laughs> ready to start showing packages. You know, it's like, well, it's, yeah, it's hard. Cause we're like, we, the, a lot of the teaching is tailored to the masses, you know? And so it's like, uh, that's, that's a taboo thing. If you're talking to a 1500 or 2,500 unit or 3000, it's like, they, sh- you know, we shouldn't be there yet, <laughs> but. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's what I said, he's like, do you show big packages? I'm like, not really. I mean, I'm, I'm like a, I show four sets most of the time we didn't have the, as big, the, I was still selling VLs, I think at this point, but yeah. so we have four, but yeah, I show, I show fours mostly you know uh 34 i think that it used to be um and so he's like he's like why not and i'm like well i was always taught that you know you're supposed to like get your sit downs up first before you worry about anything else and then get your closing percentage up next before you worry about anything after that and then the last thing is package size and so you know i'm like i'm like a 70 sit down a week guy but i have like a 35 or 40 percent closing percentage and 50 on a good week and uh, so I just, I always thought I need, you know, sit downs are my issue. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's probably kind of it, but also, um, you don't show big packages cause you're afraid they're going to say no, <laughs> you're going to say a big number at the end and they're going to say no. And I'm like, I guess that's part of it. You know, I mean, it is, you do get a little more nervous when you're going to, when you're going to say 1400 at the end of a presentation or whatever. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, so you don't have a buying atmosphere then. And I'm like, whoa. This Amen. is my thing. I'm the buying atmosphere guy, you know, like I teach parts about that. That's like my deal, you know, like as, as an OL, I was like, that's why I have a good closing percentage, you know? Yeah. And he's like, he's like, no, you don't get me wrong. You're obviously fairly good at creating the illusion that you have a buying atmosphere. But if you really didn't care how this sit down goes, then what is the difference between saying 1400 and 400, you know, who cares? Mm. Like if you really don't care how it goes, it shouldn't matter at all. It shouldn't even register that those two things should feel exactly the same. Yeah. So you just say a bigger number, right? Like, and I'm like, God, now I'm not back to like why I flatlined. I'm not saying that would have been the thing for me that I should have increased my packages. But it could have been the thing when someone followed you the next year. It's like, oh, Groom's showing bigger packages this year. Like it could have been something that you changed. My, yeah, right. It, it could have been one of the things. It could have been yeah. something. 
And the wisdom in this story is that I was very resistant to it at the time. Mm. That That's why I flatlined is like, mm. he said that. And I was like defensive about it. You know what I mean? Mm. And I never really did get in the habit of showing, you know, I only hit more once I hit more one time. And that was a week where I was showing big ass packages. Sh- shocker, you know? Um, so the, the, and again, I, I'm not trying to focus on package size being the key here. Yeah. Uh, I'm just saying like, I got so set in my ways that I would begin the summer with like a difference maker every summer. And, and I always had a 9,000 unit goal or an 11,000 unit goal or whatever. And I did the math on my seven step and all that. And it was like, and I, I would tell Tim like this summer, my difference maker is the 20 minute rule. I'm just going to stick to that. Or this summer, my difference maker is school district knowledge or whatever. And I would just kind of get out there and it's like the, the, the routine, like the OL being an OL, you know, it's like that those first week or two, um, is there's so much turmoil, you know, that you're just settling everybody in and all that stuff that I, I just never stuck to my guns on what my difference maker was going to be. Therefore, I just settled back into the same old selling method. Yeah. Man, this is and, and my, you know, I, I had the plans. I, it's not like I was oblivious to this, but I just never was tough enough about staying true to my thing, you know, to, to changing the, the inner components of the grinder. So, um, and, and, you know, again, it, it, they say that the opposite of great is, or the, uh, the enemy of great is good. Right. Yeah. Like I was pretty good. My, my, my roots, everything made sense to me on the book field. Nobody mm-hmm. was ever mean to me really. I mean, like, of course you run into like the really genetically engineered mean people, but like, I was so good at like being real with people in the approach and like knowing how to approach different personality types and stuff that like people would follow me and they're like, nobody was mean to you all day. Like everybody was like, have a great day, Ryan, have fun. Even if they didn't buy, you know, and mm-hmm. if they didn't sit down with me, like it was, the, the book field just got so um, comfortable and it was, it was so peaceful. It, people hear me talk like this and they're like, the book field was peaceful. <laughs> Not numbers one through four, you know? Yeah. Well, when uh, you do it enough times, it, it's like, it becomes your comfort zone, you know? Yeah, and you, what like, you do, you just do it every single year. And it's like, it just becomes like comfortable. Yeah, it becomes it becomes part of you. It, like the first year I didn't go out and sell, I actually felt really uncomfortable for half of that summer. I was like, I, I just felt off schedule. I'm like, it's the weather's warm. You know, you can smell the fresh cut grass that that triggers, you know, sensory flashbacks that I'm that I'm what am I doing here? Just, yeah. you know, like so anyway, um, my point is. It's, it's a really obvious, you know, why does anybody flatline? It's because you're doing the same thing every summer, you know? And, and. Well, yeah, I think what you're saying is really good. Cause I feel like I've, I've definitely felt like that too, where it's like, you know, you get coaching on something and you're just, it's easy to be resistant because what you're doing works to some level, you know, where you're like, Oh, like, well, what I'm doing already is like decent. So it's easy to resist and be like, I do it this way and it works for me. And then you, you resist doing something uncomfortable and different. Right. right. Now, if, 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 if we were going to build this out even more and you were going to say, if we, the question you asked me a minute ago was, if I knew what I know now, what would I go back and make myself do differently? Like what would be my chosen thing? Yeah. It would be, um, Facebook marketing. Mm, yeah, that's, yeah. that's that is what that's what shifted the Overton window that that's why we have so many more high producers in my opinion like yeah. if you're just going like environment what what has changed about our methodology yeah. 
Um, I, I'm lucky in the sense that I've, I have witnessed the entire evolution of how Facebook has influenced this company from the beginning of its influence. Because when I first got here, um, we, we, we hand drew, actually I hand drew all of my maps, all 10 of my summers. I never used sales rabbit, but, um, but you know, we hand drew the maps. There, there was no central communication in a community. People were still doing these, these, you know, having fun on the book field meant like messing with people. It meant like, uh, being kind of vulgar or crass or playing practical jokes on old people and stuff like that. And like, you just never got in trouble for that kind of thing. You know, it was like, they're, they're, it would stop at that person usually because there yeah, wasn't they, a, a way to spread the information. To turn that up, you know, to, to crank that up on you. Yeah. My first summer, we still, everybody had flip phones. The, the smartphone hadn't been invented yet. And so, <laughs> nor the tablet. And so, uh, it's, you know, back in my day or whatever, but it's like <laughs> getting there, man. This is my 18th year in Southwestern. So like technology yeah. is quick. And so, so, so not only that, but Facebook, you still, it was still called the Facebook. If you've seen, if you've the seen social that, network, yeah, 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 it, yeah. Was called, it was before they dropped the, the, and you still had to have a dot edu at the end of your email to be on it. That was my first summer. And so then, you know, round about like my third or fourth summer, it really blew up in the, in the boomer generation you know like we all know now that like young people don't even really use facebook you know they have all the other apps that they prefer but like old people you know our parents that is the number one demographic on facebook for sure and so i, I kind of witnessed that and and at the beginning southwestern just viewed that as i mean we just we just bent over and took it from facebook i mean there was we did not have a, a backup plan we didn't have a method it was just like you you your school district blew up you got bad pr in your school district go to a different school district because you're there's no there's no fight no that. yeah you know yeah like uh or just just you know buckle down just get ready you're gonna get verbally assaulted all day kind of thing and like we had no we had no reaction to it you know and so yeah. um and definitely weren't being proactive yet no right exactly <laughs> and so uh and I mean, again, I, I really do think there were there were people in this. We're talking like 2008 to 2011, 12, that kind of thing. Um, I think there were a lot of people who had a lot of potential in Southwestern who, who frankly concluded that Southwestern was toast. Like it, it's finally over, you know, like the, this is it. This is the generation where Southwestern is going to die, you know. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of that was our kids were just getting beat up by Facebook. And then. I attribute the invention of the Facebook business pages to Ryan Davis. I don't, I, I, think, I think that's accurate. That's what I've heard. Um, we had the little stampers, you know, Ryan, the book man, we'd sit there and stamp like. 40 yeah. Months. I had that my first summer. Yeah. Um, and, and that, that wasn't a marketing tool. That was a, that was a protect your PR tool. That's, yeah. that's what we originally set it up was like, we just want to stop getting killed by these stupid yard sale websites in the County, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, and so, so we were just trying and, and I, I never really got that good at it. By the time we started those, I was, like I said, I was already kind of set in your ways. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so that was like a new thing. And I, I would do it in front of rookies to make sure they saw it or whatever, but I, I, I didn't generate a ton of bad PR anyway, because again, I was like fairly decent with people. So um, whatever, but I, I promoted it. Right. <clears throat> and then um, really by the time I was done selling, all that had happened is we got pretty good 
at using that to prevent PR problems. Yeah. And it since I've stopped selling in the last six, seven years, what you guys have done is morph that into an entirely different thing, which is like the primary method. A lot of those, a lot of these really high producers, the, the really, really high producers, they just, they walk into houses all day. People are like, yeah, I've been yeah. waiting for you to get here, you know? Um, <laughs> I mean, it's a whole different job than what I used to do. They don't even have to approach. It's like, yeah. Um, and so, so I, I had that Facebook was just every bit as much of a usable tool in 2009 as it is today. Um, we just didn't know how to use it, you know? Yeah. And, and you guys are figuring that out in a really big way. And that would have that that would be the thing if I could take knowledge I have now and beam it into my brain back then, and I could I could teach myself I could show myself the results you that's guys are getting with using this tool. Yeah. I would have been I would have bought into that. I would have been like, wow, that's <laughs> that's yeah. crazy, you know? <laughs> yeah, I think that's like that's like two important things because the way I was thinking about it is like I don't know. Sometimes I think about like, man, if I just if I knew the mindset stuff and the stuff I know from Southwestern and I transferred it back to high school sports and I could have the discipline and work ethic, like I'd be a different animal out there, you know? Um, but also there's different techniques and I, stuff you learn. And, huh? I'm sorry. I interrupted you. No, no, no. I was done. No, you're, you're right about that. And, and I, that, uh, it's funny that you say that because when I was a, a freshman on the lacrosse team, I, I, I can actually, you saying, oh, well, if you took the mindset stuff and applied it to sports in high school, I'd have been a different animal. I'm, I'm lucky in the sense that I was still playing sports in college. Right. So, yeah. So as a freshman in, in college, I was like the second to worst player on the team. I barely made the team. And my sophomore year, I was very like forgettable on that team. And then my junior year, I was an all American and I was on like the starting line and you know what I mean? And that, yeah. and, and my sophomore year, I hadn't heard of Southwestern after my sophomore year, I did Southwestern and then my junior year, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's a, you, you do. Well, I think it's like an underrated thing with Southwestern. Cause my, my dad talks about this a lot and we'll, we'll kind of close up with this, but my, so my dad talks about, cause he played professional tennis in Europe. Um, and uh, yeah, he, uh, like he was never, he was like, I think he cracked like a hundred top 150 in the world. And it, this was like, you know, a long time ago. So it, he wasn't good enough to make any money. Like he could pay his expenses and buy himself some PB and J's, but um, he was obviously really good, you know, top 150 in the world, but he always reverts Southwestern whenever we talk about it to like that. It teaches you how to get really good at something, at something yeah. hard. And if you can learn how to get good at something really hard, you can kind of do that anywhere. Right. And he always talks about like, he learned that through tennis. And so then he went to college for geology and started an advertising company, but he just applied the principles he learned to get really good at tennis to starting his company. And I think that's one of the reasons Southwestern is a huge benefit because it teaches you just how to get really good at something with the mentality, the effort, the discipline, the, you know, mindset, all of it. So well, it's funny. And I, I don't necessarily have to hop off. I don't know if you're bound by, by time, but I would love to keep talking, but I'm supposed to do it at like, I'm supposed to talk to your Olympus folks here at 11. Ah, fair enough. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll wrap up with this um, to, to kind of, you know, affirm what you just said. One of the things on your sort of prep uh, voice memo was about yeah. parenting, right? Mm -hmm. and, um, and there's plenty of stuff I can say about that, but, but right along with what you just said, this, this idea of like, learning how to learn 
is a really important skill. Yeah. And this is, this might sound a little cocky, but, but when you're expecting your first kid, one of the things that everybody, like everybody asks you is, are you nervous? You know, <laughs> if they know it's your first kid. They say, are you nervous? Um, and, and they, the people who ask that are people who already have kids. They're, they're people yeah. who consider themselves like, get prepared. Yeah. yeah they, well, but that's because they consider themselves experts, right? Like I've already had a kid and you don't have a kid. Therefore I'm in a position of like expertise, you know? Yeah. So when they ask you, are you nervous? Do you know what they want you to say? Yes. Yeah. Terrifying. <laughs> Teach me how to do it. What's the yeah, most right. important thing? Yeah. Right. And they want to say, Oh, it'll be all right. You're going to be fine. You know, whatever. <laughs> And so, so I, I would deny them that, um, unfortunately. So people would say, are you nervous? And I'd say, no, not really. And it's like, then are, you know, it's like, that's not, they're not used to that. And I'm yeah. like, let me, let me explain. Like I, I'm, I don't claim to know how to be a good parent right now. I, yeah. I know a lot that I don't know. You know what I mean? I, I know, I know what you're getting at, which is that I'm walking into a whole mind animal. Yeah. yeah right. I'm unprepared. I, I I understand the concept, but the reason I'm not nervous is because I've I've met I don't know forty thousand people in seven different states across tons of different communities, and I talk to them about their kids, and I've just seen so many just awful shit dogs in the world that still have great kids that still raise great kids. You know what I mean? And it's like mm-hmm. if these just bad people can still produce good kids, then certainly Amy and I, who have dedicated the last 25 years between the two of us to like educating ourselves about how to be good people, good leaders, good character, good coaches, whatever, certainly we're equipped to navigate the process of learning to parent in an above average way. Like I, I you know what I mean? My confidence is there that I'll figure it out. So I'm not nervous because I, because of what your dad said, because I, because I've learned to learn. So I feel like I'll be able to figure this out without without too much delay. So yeah, uh, you, you learned how to get good at something hard, like recruiting, training, coaching, OLing, you know, parenting. Yeah, exactly. Summers. Yeah. And so then when you go into something else hard, like parenting, it's like, okay, well, I've learned how to get good at other hard things. So I feel like I'll be able to figure this one out too, probably. Yeah, right. man, so, this is good. I think that's, well, I think that's really good for, for, you know, the viewers. I think it's really good for, for, to get to a point of self-confidence like that. Um, and it's also very disappointing for your aunt at Thanksgiving. <laughs> Are you what do you mean you're not nervous? Yeah. yeah. Oh well, that, I'm going to go over here now and and ask that this 18 year old whether or not they're nervous to go to college, and maybe they'll. Yeah. Answer. <laughs> oh, that's funny, man. We could probably keep talking forever. This was this was awesome. Thank you for uh, taking the time. Definitely appreciate it. I know you got some family stuff going on later today. The grooms are in Florida, right? Yep, you got it. That'll you got be fun. It. Have fun. Thanks for talking to Olympus. This yeah, will be- dude, this was a, uh, this was a lot of fun. Thanks for doing it. I think, uh, and obviously, like I said, there's a lot more I'd want to get to. So hopefully we can do like a little part two and I'd love to get into more like some specific groom philosophies on, uh, like training and different things that you've, you know, gotten really good at this, but this was awesome. So thank you for taking the time and, um, excited to hopefully do another one. Yeah, you bet. Sounds like a fun project. Look forward to seeing how it turns out. Sweet. Thanks. you